This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for February 2019. Well, towards the southwest we have a lovely skyscape with the constellation of Orion holding court. The three stars of its belt lead down to the lower left to the star Sirius, the brightest star in the sky, the brightest star in Canis Major. Following the three stars up to the right, we come into the constellation of Taurus the Bull, with the open clusters, the Hyades, and beyond, the Pleiades. The bright star Aldebaran is not part of the Hyades cluster, lies about halfway between it and us. Up to the left of Orion lie the heavenly twins, Castor and Pollux. And over to the left is the single bright star in Canis Minor, Procyon. As the evening moves on, Leo the lion will be rising in the southeast. And between Gemini and Leo, the very faint constellation with only one bright star, which is Cancer. But just above that brighter star is a very nice open cluster called the Beehive Cluster or Prisipe. Again, going higher up above Orion, you'll see a bright yellow star, which is Capella, the brightest star in the constellation Auriga. Now, the Milky Way runs basically along the base of the Twins in Germany and up through Auriga, and there's some very nice open clusters that can be seen in the small telescope. So let's have a look at the planets. We'll start with Jupiter. It starts the month rising at about 3.30 a.m. and brightens from magnitude minus 1.9 to minus 2 as the month progresses, whilst its angular size increases slightly from 33.6 to 36.1 arc seconds. By month's end, it rises by about 2 a.m. so it'll be higher in the sky before dawn. Sadly, it is heading towards the southern part of the ecliptic, and currently lies in the southern part of Ophiuchus, just above Scorpius. Now Saturn. Saturn, shining with a magnitude of about plus 0.6, rises one and a half hours before the sun at the start of the month, some 85 minutes, in fact, after Venus. Its disk is 16 arc seconds across, and its rings, which are still 24 degrees to the line of sight, spanning 35 arc seconds across. Now Mercury. Mercury passed through superior conjunction, that means it went behind the sun, at the end of January, and will not become visible in the evening twilight until around the 12th of the month, having a magnitude of minus 1.2. During February's second half, it dims to magnitude minus 0.2, but by its end, sets some one and a half hours after the sun. With an angular size of seven arc seconds, it reaches its greatest elongation east on the 26th of the month, then 18 degrees away from the sun, and with an elevation of about 9 degrees some 45 minutes after the sun has set. Now, to observe it, binoculars could well be needed, and that reduces the background glare from the sun. But please, do not use them until after the sun has set. Mars Though fading from plus 0.9 to plus 1.2 manages during the month, 
remains prominent in the southwestern sky after sunset, at an elevation of 38 degrees, as it moves northeastwards from the constellation of Pisces into Aries on the 12th of the month. If only it could have been at this elevation when it closest to us last year. Its angular size falls from six arc seconds to less than five and a half arc seconds during the month, so we'll not be able to spot any details on its salmon pink surface. Finally, Venus. It begins February with a magnitude of minus four point three. Its angular size reduces from nineteen to sixteen arc seconds during the month as it moves away from the Earth, but at the same time, the percentage illuminated disk—that's called its phase. Increases from 62 to 72 percent, which is why the brightness only reduces slightly from minus 4.3 to minus 4.1 magnitudes. So, what about the highlights of the month? Well, there's nothing spectacular, but there are some nice little skyscapes with the planets and the moon. On February the ninth, before dawn, one can see Jupiter, Venus, and Saturn. If it's clear. You'll easily spot Jupiter lying up to the right of Venus, and just above the horizon, Saturn. And to see Saturn, you'll need a low horizon in the direction south-southeast. On February the tenth, in the evening, you can see Mars above a waxing moon. So, looking southwest, if the evening is clear, Mars will be seen lying above a waxing crescent moon. And that night, Uranus lies. Up to the upper left of Mars. Now, on the following three nights, the eleventh to thirteenth of February, Mars skirts past Uranus. So, looking southwest, if these evenings are clear, Mars, with magnitude one, will be seen passing close by Uranus, giving us an easy way of finding the magnitude six planet. And I've given you the star chart on the night sky page. Just search night sky Jodrell, and you'll find it. To show you where it'll be relative to Uranus. On the sixteenth of February, just before dawn, Venus and Saturn will be seen close by. You'll need a low horizon towards the southeast, but you should then be able to see Venus lying just up to the right of Saturn. In fact, Jupiter is shining up to their upper right. On February twenty-second, just after sunset. You may have a chance to spot Mercury above the western horizon. You'll need a good low horizon, and you may well need binoculars to cut through the sun's glare. Again, please do not use them until after the sun has set. The nicest skyscape of all, I think, in February is on the morning of the twenty-eighth. There'll be three planets and a waning crescent moon. So, hopefully, if it's clear before dawn. And given a low horizon towards the south-southeast, you should be able to observe Venus, Saturn, a waning crescent moon, and Jupiter, forming a line above the horizon. And finally, something to see on the moon. It's called the Alpine Valley, and the February the thirteenth and the twenty-fifth, when it lies close to the Terminator, a good night to observe what is an interesting feature on the moon's surface. And that's if you've got a small telescope. Close to the limb, you should see the Apennine mountain chain that marks the edge of Mare Imbrium. Towards the upper end, with a small telescope, of course, you should see a cleft across it, which is called the Alpine Valley. 
is about seven miles wide and seventy-nine miles long, as shown in the image. Again on the night sky page, there is a thin rill that runs along its length, which is a real challenge to observe. I have never managed to see it, although I have photographed it. The dark crater Plato will also be visible nearby, and you might also see the shadow cast by the mountain Mont Piton, lying not far away in Mare Imbrium. It's actually a very interesting region of the moon. So I do hope you get some clear skies during the month to observe our lovely heavens. Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, here's Haratina Mogasanu and Samuel Lesk with the night sky where you are. Kia ora from New Zealand. Hi, everyone. We're here at Space Place at Cato Observatory, holding galactic conversation from the heart of Wellington in the Southern Hemisphere, my favourite place to be, with the music of the amazing Rian Sheehan, our Wellingtonian star composer. I'm Haritina Mogoshanu. And I'm Samuel Liski. At this time of the year, we are looking towards the edge of our galaxy, the Milky Way. And Orion is just like last month, the main feature out there in the sky, apart from the South Celestial Object. Everybody talks about the evening night sky, but I'd love to also mention the wonderful early riser. What's an early riser? I think it's someone who wakes up around 4am and then commutes to work or they're just a morning person. At that time of the morning, about 4am, the galactic center rises as well. Not just the people getting up early. And as they rise, Jupiter is out there in Ophiuchus about 30 degrees above the horizon and above it is the red giant Antares. As each day goes past, Venus will seem to lower towards the eastern horizon, towards Saturn, which will also be visible in the early morning, around the 19th of February, when it will have a spectacular conjunction with Venus. So a most interesting morning sky in February. And let's just add that the Southern Cross will be high up in the sky at that early hour, crossing the meridian and pointing straight south. So at least south is easy to find, at 4am in the morning when you've misplaced your car keys or your train pass. In the evening, Mars is still the only planet in the sky that is visible with the naked eye. And the sun sets around 8.30 and is in the constellation of Capricornus going into Aquarius from the 16th of February. The brightest, second brightest and third brightest stars are visible in one shot in the evening sky. Sirius, Canopus and Alpha Centauri. Last month we talked about Orion and some of the objects from the Northern Hemisphere that sit below Orion in the southern sky, such as the fabulous Rosette Nebula and the elusive M74 and the Magellanic Clouds. We also talked gastronomy, about the pot and the frying pan. This month in February we will continue that conversation as we do some more star hopping. Star hopping is an ancient stargazing technique that involves hopping from one star to the next and making patterns and paths on the way. Let's get hopping. I say we start at sunset, and here in Wellington, Mars is very low in the sky on the western horizon. All the other planets are in the morning sky, as we mentioned. So if you're a morning person, you're in for a treat. Two ancient royal stars are flanking Mars. To the left of Mars is Formalhaut, bright star, 19 brightest at a magnitude of 1.16.
to the right of Mars, almost at the same altitude, maybe just a bit higher and roughly at the same distance as Formalhaut, is the star cluster the Hyades and the bright star Aldebaran. This is another one of the four royal stars, which also include Regulus and Antares, visible in the morning sky. In between Aldebaran and Mars, at the same height as Mars, is the Pleiades. For Maori, they are now called the Tafiti, the Shining Ones. They are in the constellation Taurus, which is just bordering the Milky Way. On the other side of the barely visible Milky Way, remember we are looking towards the edge of our galaxy, the celestial twins Castor and Pollux are just grazing the horizon. Straight up from Pollux, which is the highest in the sky here, is Procyon, the mini dog star or hot dog as we call it here at Space Place, as the asterism is made of two stars. So that's what we came up with. I know this one from Frank Andrews, the father of good planetarium presentations here in Wellington. So in the spirit of gastronomy, this one is from Frank as well. We will now point out the pop. Higher up in the sky from Procyon is Orion, upside down here to what is known in the Northern Hemisphere. So the red giant Betelgeuse is lower, and then comes Orion's pelt, the sword, and then Rigel. The blue giant is up on the top. Now when you look towards Orion, you're looking towards the pot. Its handle is made up of Orion's sword, and the bottom is Orion's belt. Holding the shape of the pot is Eta Orionis, a variable blue white main sequence double star in Orion, with its magnitude between 3.4 and 4.9. We are very practical people here in New Zealand and it is summertime and when you think of all that seafood that we will point out later in the sky, it is very nice to be here. There's just a little issue that the nights are too short at this time of the year. Are you serious? Yes, very much so. Sirius is to the right of Orion and in a straight line from Procyon if you look northeast. And if you draw a line from Procyon to Sirius around 9pm in the middle of the month, it will point to Zenit, the point straight overhead. To the right of the Zenit and almost as high is my favorite cat star, Canopus. Also, I've heard of this one from Frank. He explained to me one day that any serious astronomer in New Zealand has a ginger cat called Canopus. This is a tradition about the cat star. Canopus is part of Carina, a spectacular zone in the sky. We cover more of that in detail in that part of the sky between Sirius and Canopus and our How to Find series Navigating the Night Sky on Milky Way Kiwi, part three. Also in Carina is Eta Carine, the famous, fabulous hypergiant and another variable double star. Eta Carine was the competition for Canopus because due to a great outburst in the 1840s, it became the second brightest star in the sky. Eta Carine is one telescope field to the left of the Southern Pleiades cluster which is at the bottom of the Diamond Cross and almost halfway in between the Southern Cross and the False Cross. Again, we cover a lot of detail in our Navigating the Night Sky Part 4, where we have precise instructions for Southern Pleiades, Eta Carina Nebula, Pearl Cluster, NGC 3532 and the Jewel Box Cluster. And you will only need binoculars for these ones. So all we had to do was follow the Milky Way to South. Well, for those of us who cannot see the Milky Way all the time due to light pollution, we have followed the brightest stars and objects in the sky. Hopping from Mars, 
to the Pleiades, to the Hyades, Procyon, Orion, Sirius, Canopus, and now we arrive at the South Celestial Circle of Stars. If you do see the Milky Way, lucky you, then as it lowers towards the southern horizon, you can see the False Cross, then lower down the Diamond Cross, and then the famous Southern Cross. Both the Southern Cross and the two pointer stars, Alpha and Beta Centauri, are in the Milky Way, roughly in the direction of South. All of these crosses are made up of circumpolar stars and turn around what we call the South Celestial Circle. So you will find them at different hours, being at different heights in the sky. The stars from Centaurus, Alpha and Beta Centauri, or Hadar, together with Birtun, Mulifine and Delta Centauri, make the South Celestial Frying Pan. This is a season-based asterism visible probably best in January and February. Southern Cross and the Cossack are respectively the fish and the flounder. The latter is the Maori name for the Cossack in the frying pan. You imagine that the Southern Cross is a big arrowhead. On the other side of the 60 degrees declination south circle is Akana, the end of the river of Eridanus. So these are the most prominent stars of the early evening sky if we can call that evening, as we can only start seeing them after 8.30 when the sun sets here this month. And it's really awesome to see as the sun goes down, Formalhaut is the bright star right above it. I used to watch that one from the Northern Hemisphere, dreaming of the southern sky. And one of the first things I've learned about the sky in the Northern Hemisphere is that Formalhaut shows the secret passageway to south, to the initiate. I kept wondering why that is until I came here to Wellington and you can see further to the left of Formalhaut, maybe just slightly higher in the sky, is Alpha Centauri at this time of the year. Triple star system, our closest neighbor, the third brightest star in the sky. If you can find Alpha Centauri, one of the pointer stars, then you can find South. Also near to the left of Formalhaut is the asterism of Grus, with its line of double stars. Grus is such a delicate and beautiful lineup of stars with all these double stars that you can see with the naked eye. Grus looks like a big cross, or arrowhead, that points at Akana, the end of the river of Eridanus, about 50 degrees high in the sky. So the story goes, if you put one hand on the Southern Cross and one hand on Akana and clap, that's very near the South Celestial Pole, the extension of the South Pole and the sky, and then drop down to the horizon and you found South. It's an amazing sky this month. Even though we don't see much of the Milky Way, we have brilliant stars in the sky. Sirius is the brightest star in the night sky. Canopus is the second brightest, and Alpha Centauri is the third brightest star at about four and a quarter light years away. Sirius, a double star, is also very close to us at about 8.6 light years, whereas Canopus, also known as Alpha Carinae, is about 309 light years away. And perhaps not too many people know, but Canopus is also a double star. I really love this star. My favorite thing about it is that it's used by interplanetary spacecraft as a reference point since it lies away from the plane of our solar system where the bright planets are found. And also, in my favorite book, Dune, the planet Arrakis is the third planet orbiting Canopus. We don't know if there is any spice orbiting around Canopus, but we can tell it's a great star anyway. Even though it appears half the brightness of Sirius, Canopus is a rare F0-class supergiant star. 
These stars are rare and poorly understood. They can be either evolving to or from a red giant. And that made it difficult to understand the absolute brightness of Canopus, which helps us get some idea of the distance to it. Only with the launch of the Hipparchos satellite were we able to tell it's about 310 light years from Earth. His estimates before that gave anything between 96 to 1200 light years. So at 310 light years away, Canopus is about 15,000 times brighter than our Sun. It's so big that compared to our Sun, it stretches about three quarters of the way across Mercury's orbit. Canopus is post-main sequence as it has ceased fusing hydrogen in its core. If Canopus is a supergiant, which we all thought that was awesome, well, Eta Carine is a hypergiant. Eta Carine has the highest confirmed mass and luminosity of any star that has been studied in detail and is a candidate to become a supernova or even a hypernova. So it will be seen by our neighbors in other galaxies when it goes off. Eta Carine is 7,500 light years away. We will end here next to the biggest star known, Eta Carine, pondering about how big is big. In the meantime, we look forward to seeing you at Space Place. Space Place is one of the historical icons of New Zealand in terms of astronomy, located at the heart of our capital city. We have amazing historical telescopes, a 23-centimeter cook built in 1867 that we use for public viewing, and we also have a retro Boller and Juven 16-inch. I noticed that's the word we use now when people talk about stuff made in the 60s. The Cook has quite a story behind it, and how it got to New Zealand and eventually how it ended up in Wellington. It has been a very important telescope for research, including being used to photograph Halley's Comet in 1910, and it was used for over 120 years for research, mainly with double stars. Also on display is a James Short Telescope. We only look at this one and not through. It's locked inside the displays. It's a very important telescope. We believe it came here with Captain Cook and it was donated by Adam Reed. He's the son of Peter Reed, who was the creator and presenter of the New Zealand's Night Sky TV show in the 1960s. We also have a beautiful planetarium where I spend a lot of my time. If you ever wish to find us, Space Place is at the top of the Botanic Gardens looking out to the harbour and surrounded by flowers and New Zealand birds that are amazing and especially now in the summertime, it is a poetry for the senses. I am Haritina Mogoshanu. And I'm Sam Liski. And we are Milky Way Kiwi at Space Place at Carter Observatory in New Zealand, Southern Hemisphere, with the February podcast, the Southern Hemisphere section for the Jodcast. Thank you and clear skies from Wellington.